Welcome, welcome. What a beautiful day, another hot summer day coming up. And um, wherever you are right now, whether you're in, at home or away, um, right now, in this very moment, we are together. <clears throat> we are together virtually, but we're together. And part of the work here, especially as we do thing, things like this and continue on doing things like this, which is gathering virtually, it may take a little extra effort for us to be present to the community when the community is on a screen. And it is so easy to uh, go and be distracted and do something else. Uh, so uh, I'm aware of my own distractions in that regard, although I'm speaking, so it's a lot easier. Um, <clears throat> you're listening, that might be t tougher. Uh, so, uh, but what I thought we'd do is um, begin uh, this wonderful series and actually uh, sort of a new and uh, not really new, but a, an approach that we're going to take that we haven't done in a long time, which is to work through the Bible. And we're going to work through different sections. And the reason why, as I've been saying, is because we need, I feel myself, the need, and I think I've heard from a number of you is sort of the need to be rooted in something. There's so much that's turning and changing in our world right now. And to have something, particularly a body of wisdom that has uh, been passed on for generations, um, that can give us some kind of rooting and also can help us to make some sense of the world that we're in right now and a way of being in this world. And I thought, well, uh, based on Eric's tongue-in-cheek suggestion that we should do a, a start in the book of Leviticus, um, I thought, yeah, why not? Let's do Leviticus. That's because um, that's what we do. We take on big challenges. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the sections that we're going to work through are the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. And um, then we're going to work, go to the New Testament and do something from the Gospels. And then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We'll do something in uh, perhaps the uh, what's called the Writings. <clears throat> or some of the historical works, and then we'll go back to the New Testament, and we'll do stuff from uh, maybe another gospel or do an epistle. Um, and so we'll go back and forth from section to section. And that way we'll get, by the end of the year, or in a year, in 12 months, hopefully, we will have gone through all the sections of the Bible. <clears throat> so I thought in beginning with our series in Leviticus to actually do something that might be helpful, because I've got a few questions from you. <clears throat> One of them was, hey, what's with all these rules? And, um, and that can be really hard when you start off reading a bunch of rules, reading a bunch of rituals, not to mention that it feels so removed from our lives. Um, but it also paints a picture of God that perhaps doesn't feel very good uh, to us. Um, <clears throat> so fair enough. That's a, that's a, a legitimate, uh, and, and at least it's held by a lot of people. Uh, and I think that, uh, we need to address that. Um, the other question that folks have had has, has been like, <clears throat> um, all this sacrifice is really, uh, disgusting. It's really ugly. Um, and, um, finding a hard time reading through that. Um, making sense devotionally or like making sense of it in any relevant way is ex also extraordinarily difficult. So what I figured we'd do is begin with 
um, some uh, context, maybe some helpful context, and um, and talk about the worldview that was held then. And maybe this will be a new way of thinking about the Bible that, for me, I think has been extraordinarily helpful. I've been thinking about this for uh, quite some time, um, for at least 10 to perhaps even as, as, as long as 15 years now, that I've been working through this and trying to uh, communicate in a way that's helpful. Um, and, uh, and so I'd like to do that perhaps in a model that might be helpful to us today. So I'm not going to get into Leviticus as in working through the chapters today. We'll do that next week. But for today, I wanted to at least answer some of the big questions that could be helpful to us in reading the book and, and at least um, make the book a little bit more accessible. Um, so the first thing I want to say is the book of Leviticus <clears throat> is a book that is um, written uh, by, by the time it is written, Israel has already been in existence for, uh, for a long time. And this is their sort of putting into print what they had been practicing for some time. Um, if you think of uh, Israel as having left the, the desert, they were in the desert enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years. They come out of that. They live in the desert for a while. They finally make it to what's called the promised land. And they begin to uh, develop their culture, their people, their nation. Um, and then eventually they end up having their own kings and then they end up, uh, being, uh, taken into exile and losing everything. Um, this is sort of the trajectory of, of Israel. Um, and so when the book of Leviticus is written, it is written specifically about the time period when Israel has, uh, this new system, this temple set up. The temple in the ancient world was a place of worship and commerce. There weren't really separations in the way people thought it was. This is commerce, it's religion, it's, it's culture, it's the whole thing is, is surrounds this thing called the temple, the place of worship. And that was true for most cultures, developed cultures and civilizations. Um, and so they have their worship. They have the temple is built. Well, Leviticus doesn't describe the building of the temple like Exodus does, or um, yeah, mostly Exodus. So Leviticus really addresses what happens inside the temple. What's the worship all about? What do you do to worship God? Um, and, um, and in it are all sorts of laws, laws about ritual, how to do this worship, and laws about how to live. Um, and so all of that is, is, is combined there in Leviticus. So let me answer the, address the question of, okay, so why would God prescribe sacrifices? Why would God do that? That seems really cruel. I kind of like animals. Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to think of your pet sheep being offered as a sacrifice or uh, your pet goat. Um, it uh, would feel cruel. Not to mention... Um, how costly this would have been economically, or maybe not if you had plenty. So there was, there's, this, there's this, uh, this, this sense that for a lot of people that parts of the Bible don't make sense because they seem like God prescribed this behavior here that feels really wrong and feels cruel. And then elsewhere, that isn't, that isn't replicated. Um, and so people try to make sense of this as best as they can. But what we end up doing is reading Genesis 
Exodus, skipping Leviticus, reading a little bit of Deuteronomy, and then, oh, now we're getting into some fun stuff because we get into First and Second Samuel, and that's good stuff. Then when you get into the Kings and the Chronicles, you start to snooze a little bit, but you can make your way through it. But when you get to those minor prophets, some of it's really like, oh, I can, I can get with this. And some of it is just, this is way too wacky. So then we get a relief when we get into the Gospels and we're like, okay, Jesus. Oh, yeah, he's my man. Jesus is the man. And then we just want to do Jesus for the next, you know, few years. But then if, you know, you feel guilty and you're supposed to read, you know, the Bible. So you go back and you try to make an effort at reading the Bible and you start again in Genesis because that's an easy book. And then you work your way and you say, I'm really going to do it this time. And you get through Exodus and you're doing great. And then you hit Deuteronomy and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Um, uh, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. I skipped Leviticus again, didn't I? Oh, I hate Leviticus. And on and on and on we go with just trying to do the thing of reading it. And it is so darn frustrating. Okay. <laughs> if you've done that, um, I'm glad to know because I've done that too. So it's really, really hard. Can you imagine how many pastors we have to do this? We have to do this. You know how many pastors skip Leviticus? Like probably 90% of the pastors in America. And I'm not joking. I would say that's even perhaps a, 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 a kind of a, a conservative estimate because many of pa many pastors just, uh, they'll admit it to me and we'll talk about it. It's like, how do you do a series of that? That's just brutal. Um, but then at the same time, there's this like ick factor that we all wrestle with as pastors. Like, how do I make this God seem tame? And so we, we do these sophisticated, you know, kind of arguments that really just confuse people. It doesn't really help anyone. And so um, I'm going to propose another one to you that's sophisticated and confusing and see if we can just move on through Leviticus. Um, now, hopefully this is actually helpful. All right. So first thing I want to say is Leviticus is written, as I said, during a period of time in which Israel um, has been in existence for a long time and they're, they're kind of starting to put things in writing. They've been practicing it for a long time, but they're putting things in writing and they're editing and adding and, and so on. So Leviticus is an attempt to try to explain what was happening in their world as they were um, encountering God. And uh, this is not unusual. So, for, so let me describe or explain that um, how long sacrifices, sacrifices had been in place in cultures for about 4,400 years before the common era, before Christ. So sacrifices have been going on for a long, long time. This was not generated by God or by Israel. This was been this has been going on for a long time before the Bible, before the Old Testament was ever conceived of. Um, and so then, about thirty three hundred years BCE, at nearly every culture had developed domesticated animals and were regularly offering them as sacrifices to their gods, doing very similar things to what Israel uh, began to do. Rituals, ceremonial laws, what's clean, what's unclean, and on and on and on. This is not uncommon. This is not as though God pops into Israel and says, I'm going to give you a brand new system, 
And it's going to be heaven's culture that I'm going to bring you into. I'm going to pull you out of the worldly culture and put you in a heavenly culture. Uh, and here's the perfect law and here's the perfect way of doing things. That's one view of how we can see the Bible. Um, and there are cults that actually believe that. So, you know, certain cults like Mormons and, um, and others believe that God just drops this, uh, this code, you know, and we're supposed to follow that code. But I don't think that's how the Bible works. I think the Bible works very differently. And I'm going to suggest a few different models because what's important to understand is how you see, not what is true, but how you see. Because what is true is always a bit beyond us. We get aspects of truth, we start to see, but it's mostly our seeing, our paradigms, our mindsets, our worldviews, our lenses. So it's been said, you don't see the world as it is, you see it as you are, right? And there's plenty of science to show that that's actually really true. We think we see things, but we actually don't really see things as they are. We see things and our brain does this thing of interpreting the data that we see. And so that's what I want to address is how we see and how the ancient world saw. And if you can see that, then it'll make a little bit more sense of Leviticus. At least it'll make, it'll, it'll make Leviticus a little bit tamer to you or not so brutal or make God look so brutal, I think. Um, so let me um, plug this in. This is a very unsophisticated form of technology here, but I'm going to plug this video thing here in so you can see. Okay, so I hope you can see this. Again, this is really tough, but can you see this okay? Can pin the video? Okay, so Leviticus is written during a time where the mindset, the paradigm, the way people thought of things was in order to move towards goodness, towards God, it was a, a movement away from something, okay? So a, a movement away. So you can see it's marked, this is away from is marked by a purity mindset. You have to have, you have to be pure, right? So humans who were close to the earth, who worked with the earth were viewed as perhaps some of the most unclean, dirty people while the pharaohs uh, sat, um, in um, up higher and sat on gold and silver and precious stones and so on. Um, and they oftentimes were avoidant of the sun. So the lighter your skin was, that meant you were in a higher status. The darker your skin, that meant you were probably a slave and a servant. And the, the, more clo the closer to the earth, the material physicality of things, the dirtier you were, the higher you ascended. So you even see ziggurats or pyramids these were a sense to, to God where there's purity, where there's this less dirty, you know, kind of, uh, of thinking. So the away from is marked by a purity mindset. Right here where you see A-N-E, that's ancient Near East, um, and that refers to the ancient world, the ancient Near East culture. And the ancient Near East culture um, was the culture in which Israel or the Jewish people emerged from. The ancient Near East culture had been practicing sacrifices and so on for a long time. This was nothing new. Um, and the Jewish culture emerges from that. And the mindset is the Jewish culture has to move away from the ancient Near East culture. And that's why they become God's what? Holy people. Holy is that word 
that means separate from, away from, right? And so as they move away, even within that culture, the Jewish culture, there is also what? Even subcultures within that. There's the priests. The priests themselves were away from the people and they could have access to God. This is why when you read Leviticus, you have all these laws about don't touch this, don't touch that, don't touch the other. It was this mindset that there were things that were impure and things that were pure. Why? That's a, a long and difficult and very fuzzy uh, conversation to have. We're not entirely sure of why things, some things were called pure and others weren't. Some of it is obvious, but some, some of it is not. Um, and so this is also the mindset where we end up with the Christian culture. The Christian culture that I was raised in was one that moved away from culture. Culture's dirty, culture's evil, culture's sinful, secular society's sinful. You have to leave, you have to separate, you have to pull away from that in order to be pure. This is nothing new. Uh, this, was, this was during the time of Jesus. Uh, there were sects of Judaism that pulled away from others to be pure and wait for God to return. In fact, that's where we get uh, some of our scriptures is they were the ones that were copying and writing and preserving scripture. Um, so uh, that, that movement has been around for a long time. It's a mindset of purity, move away, keep moving in that direction. This is the mindset of Leviticus. You have to move away from what is unclean. Don't touch anything unclean or you become unclean. But there's something interesting just to show you mindset in the contrast. If you think this is sort of like, eh, I don't know if it's a mindset. I think this is the way it should be or the way we all think. Jesus does something remarkable. You know, the commandments in Leviticus are if someone is unclean or has a skin sore, what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to be quarantined. Right? Now we're very familiar with that word. That word is something we're all, that's something we're all experiencing. Um, but if someone had a skin sore, they were to be quarantined until it was healed, until it, it was gone. Um, and so, uh, so this idea of like, you know, purity and, and, and separation and clean, cleanliness, this was all very much uh, within Leviticus. And Jesus does something that is so contrary to that, that that's why he's confusing to the people of his day, because he touches people with skin diseases. And you're not supposed to. Because if you do, you're breaking the Levitical law. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, I mean, so this is, this is not something that I'm making up or anybody's making up. We can do dances. We can do all kinds of theological gymnastics around it. It's just plain as day. Jesus broke Levitical law, period. <laughs> he did. And he does it, but here's the mystery of it. Instead of him becoming unclean and him becoming disease affected, what happens is he reverses that and people become clean. People become healed, right? So this is a different mindset that happens in the coming of Jesus. And what Jesus is doing is shifting awareness. It's a shift. It's not that this was always true. Like you were supposed to move away from. In fact, even within, I'm going to suggest that even within this culture, that is an away from culture, there are hints or genetic code, however you want to see it, hints of something transcendent, something that was going to speak of further awarenesses. So there's things like God showing up in places God shouldn't show up. <laughs> where, when God was supposed to be up in the heavens, where you were supposed to ascend, leave dirty earth and move upward, God shows up 
and is present to people right where they are. That happens to Jacob and he says, oh my goodness, I had no idea you were here. Right? So this is over and over again, you see, you see hints of this, but those hints weren't able to be seen by the people of the ancient world because it's a matter of awareness. So here's what I'm gonna say about this culture. It isn't that God wanted animals killed, even though it is written that way. <clears throat> it is that this was a people that were wrestling with what they were experiencing with God. They had real encounters with God and were trying to make sense of it in their world and in their understanding and in their awareness. And God, in God's mercy, does not come in and just overthrow everything but rather begins to transform us from a model that I'm going to describe as the third model, which is from inside as opposed to from the outside and forcing change onto us. We know this doesn't work because every time rule laws are legislated in America, uh, not every time, <laughs> sometimes it's really good and it does change things. But so much of the time when there's legislation or when there's a forced change on people, there is a reaction. And that reaction is that people go in the other direction because there hasn't been an inside change in transformation of the heart. And so God comes into the culture and begins to change the culture with small awarenesses that begins to shift them and move them toward something. So there's always a forward drive in momentum to revelation, to scripture. It's moving somewhere. So now you can read Leviticus and not necessarily feel like you have to believe, you can if you still want to, but you don't have to believe that this was God's perfect culture and God's perfect design and that everybody understood it perfectly. To imagine that any one of us could understand the fullness of truth perfectly and then record it perfectly, it, it would mean that God would have to completely possess a person and speak through them. And some believe that. Some believe that's how scripture was written. But I don't see that because you see a lot of contradiction and you see a lot of back and forth. For example, you see the commandments of sacrifice in Leviticus. Sacrifice these animals because they are a pleasing smelling smell. They are a pleasing uh, aroma to God, it even says. Well, then why in Psalm 41 would the psalmist say sacrifices and burnt offerings you did not desire? <laughs> At the height of Israel's power and glory, the psalmist says God did not desire sacrifices. Psalm 50, God does not desire sacrifices. First Samuel, when Samuel faces Saul, who has made sacrifices to try, you know, to keep God happy, but he's disobeying God. Samuel says, God prefers obedience over sacrifice. You're going to get this over and over again. Even the prophets say, God didn't care about sacrifice. God cared about a pure and holy heart. God wanted your heart to be transformed, right? So if this is happening over and over again throughout the scriptures, there's a contradiction to the Levitical law. Or maybe not. Maybe what it is, is it's a growing progression of awareness that we're doing our best to understand God, 
but we're going to always be imperfect in our understanding. Now, this is where it gets scary because someone's going to say, well, does that mean scripture then is imperfect? No, it has nothing to do with perfection or imperfection. Is it fully inspired? My answer is absolutely. It's inspired, but it's inspired because in it are these treasures. As I said, these codes, these hidden transcendent truths that continue on forever. In it are the stories and inside the stories are a limitless and endless uh, 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 truths and, and beauty. And, and this is what it means to encounter, the, to, to encounter God. And it demonstrates to us that in the encountering of God, that we are going to not get it perfectly, but in the encountering of God, we are going to change and be on the path. The path is not about perfection. The path is about ever growing in awareness. And we are part of this rich tradition that began thousands of years ago of people who courageously move forward and knowingly are gonna get it imperfect, but are moving forward. And as they move forward, they begin to develop and move culture forward. And so I don't look back on my Levitical uh, forefathers who, got, who, who, who said these things with disdain. I look on them and I admire their courage and their strength to move culture forward in an imperfect way, knowing that I today am doing my best to move culture forward, but a thousand years from now, people will look back on me and have some same comments like, how could they have thought this way? But instead of a negative approach, I think we should have more of a positive approach and be grateful for people of courage, for people who got it wrong much of the time, but were willing to wrestle through and show us how to wrestle through to understand the truth and to ever move forward towards that greater awareness and greater transformation of this world. So the next... um, model I want to show you is toward. So you have your away from and then you have your toward culture. Toward is marked by uh, conversion mindset. So as you can see, the arrow is reverse here. So God, um, as the gospel writers would say, came through the person of, uh, of, of the Christ, of Jesus the Christ, uh, the Messiah, the anointed one. He comes towards the Jewish culture. Note that Jesus actually said, I came for the Jew, not for the Gentile, right? That's, that's pretty uh, exclusive, isn't it? <laughs> um, and yet the interesting thing about it, there's hidden and transcendent truths because Jesus also makes Gentiles the heroes of some of his stories. Uh, so again, there's always these transcendent truths hidden all throughout these gospel stories, hence at what was coming right? But wasn't ready to happen um, in, in that time. And that's the, way, um, that's the way truth works, is it comes in small doses. It comes as genetic code that eventually starts to develop into something. And that's the reason why Jesus refers to the kingdom as being like a seed that is planted. Nobody perceives the seed or understands the seed at the time, but the seed eventually grows. And pretty soon, as he says, it takes over the whole earth and it transforms everything. These truths, these seeds are hidden in Leviticus. They're hidden in the prophets. They're hidden in the gospel writers. They're hidden in the epistles. And they're ever growing 
And now hopefully they're growing in us. So Jesus the Christ comes towards the Jewish culture and toward the ancient Near East culture, which is really awesome because even at the cross, what you see is the first person to really get it in terms of conversion is a Roman guard who was standing there by the cross and says, truly, this was the son of God. So awesome. It's always a movement toward, but the problem with the movement toward is that it can get hijacked or misunderstood by us, which it did. So the movement toward becomes a movement of, I've got to convert you to my religion, my views, my belief system. And so, um, the, the, the followers of, of Jesus, um, early followers of Jesus, uh, believe that they have to convert Gentiles until Paul, who gets it, and Paul starts to get it even at, again at a smaller level, but he starts to get it and says, wait, 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 the Gentiles are coming in. Even Peter says, hey, the Gentiles are coming in and they're coming in without having to convert to Judaism. That was new for them. Um, and Rome converts the world, right? You all, you're pretty familiar with that, most of you folks, about Roman conversion by sword uh, and trying to convert the world. So Rome takes it, believes that that's what was meant by coming toward or by a movement toward. It was instead of fleeing the world, now you went back toward the world to try to dominate or control or convert the world. Um, and so you begin to see that movement through the Crusades as well. And through um, some of the early evangelical movements, it was a belief that you could conquer the world through conversion and, um, and change these, uh, these cultures. Um, finally, you have from, a with, from within. Now, bear with me. This is the last one. And then I'll get to some, um, some really um, relevant applications, hopefully, for us today. So the away from, the toward, and then from within. From within is marked by a growth mindset. And you start to see this in uh, quotes uh, from these verses um, uh, that we are in the world, but not of the world, right? So it's this idea that we're in, the seed has been planted inside me, inside you, inside the world. And the seed is what begins to transform and grow. Right? There's not a movement away from the world. There's not a movement necessarily toward, although there, there is a bit of that toward as well. Um, but really what it is, is it's a movement from within the Christ that is within all of us. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1 27, namely this mystery. And he finishes what the mystery is. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, not Christ outside coming to get you but Christ already present within you. And this was the mystery because he was seeing it happen in the context of, of Colossians 1 there. He is saying, this is the astounding thing. Christ has always been. Christ predates creation. Christ has always been everywhere, all the time, never ending, never going away. And so when he sees these non-Jews having the spirit within them without converting to Judaism, he says this, namely this mystery that has always been true, but our awareness wasn't quite there. And that is Christ is already presence. And Paul is astounded by this mystery himself and trying to make sense of it. 
But even in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the prophets, right? You have Joel who says, uh, God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. It's going to happen. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be a transformation that takes place from within. This is why it's called a growth mindset. It's from within. It's the seed that grows. Um, and so um, this is the direction that, um, that I think we're going in and we need to continue to go in. So let me apply this to the political hotbed of today. <laughs> let me apply it to COVID-19 and all the things that are happening today that's creating all this division and separation. We can have an attitude of away from, which is very easy. How many this week have been like, I'm done with all of this? <laughs> Come on now. How many of you have said, I am done? I'm done. I've had enough. I'm out, right? Peace out. Like so many people are doing this, like I'm out. I'm closing my Facebook. I'm going to go to another. I just found out that there's another and they're really non-biased. And I just start to go, is, there's no such thing as unbiased, okay? We just have to accept that. We're all biased and there's no escaping that. There's no, there's no way from that you're going to find that's going to finally create peace. There is sometimes things we have to do for our preservation, like don't listen to as much news as you have been. Absolutely, right? Um, or there's a toward, which toward can be also against, like I am going to, try to convert everybody because our concern sometimes is that we have to be right. I have a fear that I might be wrong. You have a fear that you might be wrong. Maybe you don't have the right beliefs. Even as I'm talking about Leviticus and how to see the Bible, you might be a little bit shaken up like, well, what beliefs should I have? And should I have the, what are, what are the right beliefs? And, and we might get concerned about those things. Um, here's what I want to say is I think that the answer to the problems today is that we move towards a with kind of mindset. That we move towards being with people unless people choose to not be with us. And even then, that's their decision, not ours. This is a hard calling. This is not possible for all of us. For some of us, we're going to say, I need time. I need space. I'm not espousing that you have to do this tomorrow. I'm not saying if you don't do it, you're, you're, you're going to hell or something. You know, what I'm saying is that you have, uh, if you know where your North star is, if you know the direction you should go in, that's, that's a big percentage of it. And at least you can begin working with that and building yourself towards that. But this with mindset, I believe is necessary for the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of God, for the people of God to be a transformative agent in this world, a transformational agent. So what does this look like? Well, I was having some great conversations yesterday with a couple guys from our church, uh, separately from each other. But it was about politics. And it was about all the stuff that's going on in the world. And the thing is that I have this sort of, uh, in my mind, another one of these sort of models and that there's at, the, there's at the superficial level, there's what we have that are our beliefs, our ideologies, our politics. Underneath that are the experiences that we have had that have led us to those beliefs. 
underneath those experiences, our fears, our loves are all the motivational energy beneath all of that. And then what ties all of that together is our personality. It's all part of it. Our personality shapes all of that. And if you're at the belief level, you only have really two choices at the belief level, don't you? It's either you move away or you move against or you just convert and move towards them. But that's it. That's where we are. And today we're at a place where we're fighting at the belief level, at the political ideological levels, at all of this. And some of us have sold our souls to our beliefs, to our ideologies. In other words, we have turned our beliefs into idols. They've become the thing that we worship. And that's unfortunate because uh, we don't have to. We can go underneath that and we can actually meet people at the experiential level. If we're willing to have that conversation, what are the experiences? What has been, what has informed you? Then we can get underneath that and we can actually be with people at the place of their fears and their loves. If I were to ask a hundred people, what are your beliefs? I'd have a hundred different opinions. If I asked a hundred people, what were your experiences? We'd start to have some common experiences, unique, but common. Then if I were to say, how many of you this week have had some concerns about your financial security? How many hands do you think would go up? Yeah. If I were to say to those folks, how many of you would like to see poverty finally be eradicated in this world? We got a lot of people would say yes. How many of you would like to see better relationships, improved relationships, improved connections between you and perhaps someone you really love? How many would like to see that improved? You'd see a lot of hands go up. And when we get underneath the political ideologies and I say to you, you know what, I understand that you've gotten to this belief system, but I, I care about your financial security. And that touches me because I'm with you and that I have the same concerns. If I were to say, you know what, I'm, I'm concerned about the mistreatment of other people too. I'm with you. My heart's with you. If I were to say to you, I know people really should and can do more than they ever imagined they could. They can aspire to greatness. I'm with you there. And we start to get to that place of the heart, my friends, my brothers, my sisters. We are now doing this thing, the incarnational work of Christ, which is that we have come alongside of people. The Holy Spirit is called the one who comes alongside. In Greek, it's parakletos. It just simply means the one who comes alongside, who's with you. Can we change our own disposition this morning? We've been away. I've been away this week. I've been away from people. I've been against people this week. I regularly need to change this and go, am I with people? Am I really with them? I think this is the direction that we're all moving in and would like to move in. And so I invite us 
to consider that this morning.